Welcome to Daily Defining Moments. This is Pastor Allen, and I'm so glad you're with me. Our goal each day is to help you open your Bible and connect with Jesus. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We're reading through the New Testament portion of the one-year Bible in the New Living Translation. Today is August 22nd, and our reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, if you remember, in chapters 12 through 14, Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts. Let me summarize what we've learned, and then today we're going to talk about specifically how do we exercise these gifts in a corporate setting, in a church service. So Paul has made it clear, when we trust in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. He's the gift, and the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. We all have spiritual gifts, and they're a gift of grace. We don't earn the gifts. We don't deserve the gifts. The Holy Spirit gives them to us as a gift, and the purpose is to serve the Lord Jesus and to serve the body of Christ. Now, he also says that the Holy Spirit empowers us to use our gifts to serve Jesus and to serve the local church. Now, he's also told us that it's so important if we have all these gifts, but we don't love each other and we don't love our world, then our gifts really are obsolete. They don't make any difference at all. Our gifts become a, a nuisance more than a help. And he defined for us what that love looks like. And then he went back to saying, you know what? We need to desire the most important gift. What makes some gifts more important than other gifts? Well, I think Paul would say it's the gifts that build up the whole body. Those should be valued, pursued, elevated, desired more than the gifts that just build you up personally. And he went on to describe the difference between the gift of prophecy, that is a word from God that encourages, comforts, builds up, strengthens another person, versus the gift of tongues, which is a prayer language that edifies me spiritually, but really doesn't do anything to help anyone else. Well, now in verse 14, he's going to say, when you come together, let me, let me give you a little bit of instruction about your worship services now. This is so important to understand. You've got to remember, Paul is writing a brand new church. So all these New Testament churches, they don't have any church history. They're not a part of a denomination. There's not any tradition. They're pastors, they're elders, the people that have been appointed to lead there. They weren't trained in seminary. They didn't grow up going to church. None of these people grew up going to a New Testament church. Some of them were, were Jewish and grew up in that cultural context. But the whole New Testament church thing is brand new to everyone who's reading this letter written by Paul to the church to give them this instruction about gifts and about love and about culture and about, and now these, these worship services. So when you come together for worship, he gives them some instruction. And I think you'll be able to see how we've applied this today. But another thing they didn't have is they didn't have a Bible. You got to remember, today, you might have 10 Bibles in your house. Well, back then, this is 
you know, 1,500 years before the printing press. And so nobody has a Bible. Nobody has a copy of Scripture. They've heard Scripture. They have a Jewish background, and they've memorized some Scripture. And they have the teaching of Jesus, and they have the teaching of the apostles. So there's an oral tradition, this teaching that they're using to help each other grow in their faith. But they don't have Bibles, and they don't have all this training, and they don't have a seminary degree. And and so Paul's trying to give them some instruction because their worship services apparently were a little chaotic because they didn't have any of that structure or tradition that that for most of us gives order to a worship service. So here's a couple of things that Paul says that are so important. In verse 23, he says, the first thing you got to understand in regard to speaking in tongues again, throughout American church history, the whole idea of speaking in tongues, a prayer language has been kind of controversial. But in this passage, Paul gives some good instruction that keeps that gift from creating controversy. So notice what he says in verse 23. He says, if unbelievers come to your meeting and everyone's speaking in tongues, everybody's speaking in an unknown language, he says, those people will think you're crazy. Verse 24, but if you're prophesying, if you're using your words, if you're getting a word from God based on the scripture that is encouraging, comforting, strengthening, building up the other believers, he says, well, they'll hear that. They'll hear the truth. They'll hear the word. And it'll actually bring them to repentance and cause them to worship God. So even in our worship context today, that's why a church is not everybody just getting up and sharing their thoughts. We take the Word of God every week, and one tremendous advantage we have is now we have the Bible, we have the Scripture, Old and New Testament. And so we take the Word, and we try to help the church to understand what God is saying and to understand how to apply that to their life in order to comfort to strengthen, to build them up. In other words, we're speaking every Sunday. We're speaking prophetically into the lives of the congregation to build up the church. Now, in verse 26, he goes on to describe basically a worship service. He says, okay, when you get together, somebody will sing, somebody will teach, and somebody might share a revelation or a tongue as long as there's an interpretation. Somebody may prophesy, but I want to limit the people who speak in tongues to two or three, I want to limit the prophecy to two or three. He wants to maintain order. Again, today, we have less emphasis on revelation, speaking in tongues, or a personal prophetic word because we've got Scripture and they didn't really have that. So we're kind of replacing that teaching by expositing, teaching, being trying to be faithful to the Word of God, which the New Testament is going to teach us to do as we get a little historically a little later in church history. And then watch what he says in verse 32. He says, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. Oh my goodness, this is so important. Again, one of the controversial things that happens, I've got a my background is Baptist and Pentecostal. And when it comes to what we're talking about, spiritual gifts, they kind of see this pretty differently. And so I've always tried to understand, well, how do we, how do we take advantage of what 
both of these camps, what's good about what both of them bring to the table. And uh, my, of course, my my Baptist friends are all about order and structure, and that's good. And my Pentecostal friends are all about uh, gifts and power, and that's good. And we want we want both. But I love what he says here. He says the Holy Spirit never forces people. There's there's almost this idea sometimes in my Pentecostal circles that the Holy Spirit is going to come on me and I'm not going to be able to control myself and I'm just going to do this thing out in the service. I'm just going to say this or I'm going to act a certain way. And I love what he says is the Holy Spirit never does that. The Holy Spirit never enforces his will upon anybody. He says, remember, the people that prophesy or exercise any gift are in control of their spirit. They can choose to take turns. They can maintain order. The Spirit of God never leads us into disorder. The Spirit of God never takes over. In fact, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is described as a dove, which is one of the most gentle and one of the most sensitive birds there is. The Holy Spirit's not described as a crow or a vulture. There's a big difference. But a dove, sensitive, very gentle, that's how the Holy Spirit is. And I think that's so important when we're thinking about spiritual gifts. God's not leading us into disorder and leading us out of control. And finally, he says in verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And he says, as in all the meetings of God's people, there should be order and peace in all of our worship settings. And so every week we gather for worship, we're trying to bring all of that into our worship experience. We want to recognize that God is here and we're here to worship and we have gifts. We want to exercise those gifts to build up the body of Christ and, and to exalt the the name of Jesus. We want to make sure it's a culture of love and we want to do it in order so that those that join us are edified rather than confused. All right. Hope all that makes sense. I know that's a lot to cover in one day. Let me pray for you. Father, we're so grateful for your spirit, for the gifts. We're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful that we get to be a part of the body of Christ and exercise the gifts that you've given us to build up your body. And we ask you to anoint us to do that. God, I thank you so much for Definition Church. I thank you for everybody listening to this podcast, their desire to grow in their faith and to live in a way that honors and blesses you. And help us, Lord, to live together in a way that honors and blesses you and each other. We thank you for these gifts. Help us to utilize the gifts, not for our ego, God, not for our recognition, but to honor your name, to bless you, to bless your church, to bless your kids. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for being with me again today. Hope you have a great day. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We'll see you again tomorrow.